0: we
1: We'll be right back. Peace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here. I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship this day. We are in the midst of a sermon series we're calling the Jesus Prayer Book. We're looking at all of the psalms that show up in the Gospels because the psalms for Jesus were like his favorite playlist of music. It was a way for him to not only understand himself in the world, but it's a way for us as we read from the text. uh, It's a way for us to learn more about who God is and who we are in relation to God. I hope you've been enjoying the sermon series so far. Uh, I found it to be kind of instructive for us, particularly for those, maybe perhaps you, who, who find yourself listening to a lot of music these days, if you're spending more time at home or less time with other people. We love to play music in our in our house. Uh, I'm a big big music person. We have a a, a turntable. We have a lot of vinyl. We've got speakers all across the house and of course because this Christmas somebody uh, decided to give us an Amazon A-L-E-X-A. I don't want to say her name in case she is in your house and gets turned on because of this. We received one of those, and our four-year-old son Elijah has learned how to use uh, use her and be able to play music, and even just this morning, he shouted over to her and asked her to play One More Time, which is a song by Daft Punk, but he prefers the version from Trolls 2. Uh, anyway, so he asked for her to play that. It's this kind of upbeat, you know, up-tempo kind of techno song, and there he was in his pajamas at 6.45 in the morning dancing in our kitchen, and I, I thought... I he's going to be crazy the rest of the day, but I kind of love that that's part of his playlist and that that song puts him in a spirit and a mood that will kind of be with him all day. That's what the Psalms are like for us as God's people. So we're going to keep listening to Jesus' favorite playlist to learn more about who this God we worship really is. There are a lot of things going on in the life of our church. We're continuing to provide a uh, email devotionals, Facebook live videos during the week, worship as we're doing right now. You can find out more about our church through our church website or our church Facebook page. There's an online bulletin that you can use for the service. The the link for it is in the video description. It contains our prayers, scripture, hymn, that sort of important and good information. And I'm just ready. I hope you are too to hear uh, God's word for us today that we might be able to respond back to it. So with that, I encourage you to find a comfortable posture, and let's just be silent together before the Lord for a moment.
0: Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.
1: Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together, even in this strange time and in these strange ways to call on you to bring everything that moves us before you together to hear the joyful message of salvation so come to us now O lord awaken us give us your light be our teacher and our comforter speak to each and every one of us so that we may hear just what we need and what will help us and so be gracious to all others everywhere who have gathered together as your faithful community Preserve all of them and all of us by your word. Protect all of them and all of us from hypocrisy, error, boredom, and distraction. Give them and us knowledge and hope, a clear witness, and joyful hearts, knowing that your grace is perfectly and wonderfully offensive. And now, O Lord, we will each lift up to you, whether silently or aloud, our own joys and our own concerns this day. Amen. As I noted earlier in the service, this sermon series we're going through, we're looking at a psalm that shows up in the gospel. So today, our readings are from Psalm 82 and from John 10:31 through 39. So hear now God's holy word. This is from Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and how long will you show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. But they have neither knowledge or understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundation of the earth are shaken. I say, you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge of the earth for all the nations belong to you. And now John 10, 31 through 39. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, the only a human being, are making yourself God. Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law... I said you are gods. If those to whom the word of God came were called gods and the scripture cannot be annulled, can you say that the one whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming because I said I am God's son? If I am doing the works of my father, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Then they tried to arrest him again, but he escaped from their hands. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 454 from the United Methodist hymnal, Open My Eyes That I May See. So please join me over by the drums. I'm going to be playing and singing, and I encourage you to join me in singing, Open My Eyes That I May See. If you're unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in the online bulletin. But Let's play and sing together open my eyes that
0: i may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free silently now i wait for thee ready my god my will to Thou send is clear, and while the wave notes fall on my ear, everything.
1: took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Two scenes. Imagine, if you can, two separate courtroom dramas. Got to set the stage. You know, a la law and order. So in the first courtroom scene, God sits behind the judgment seat, looking out over a full room to the brim with God's people. They have all meandered in, carrying their own hopes and fears, their sins and their shames. They have been elevated to the status of angels because they, unlike the rest of humanity, they've received the Torah and yet they have taken this privilege of god's and they've squandered it with injustice so god takes the gavel smacks it down and all who are there gather and sink even lower into their chairs god declares what is wrong with all of you how long will you continue to make such a mess of my creation All I've asked is that you give justice to the weak and to the orphan, that you maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute, that you rescue the weak and the needy. For once you were no people, but now you are my people, so it's time you start acting like it. But they don't. They are more concerned with themselves than with others. They do whatever they can to rise to the top, and they care not one bit about what it costs. They walk around like a people stuck in darkness, And they have no hope at all. God shakes the very foundations of the earth from God's divine courtroom and proclaims the verdict. You are God's children of the Most High. All of you belong to me. But nevertheless, you shall die like mortals. You shall fall away like any other prince. Justice has been served. Now, in the second courtroom drama, the the tables have been turned, literally. Now it's God's people who sit in the seat of judgment. And Jesus, God in the flesh, he is the one on trial. Jesus has already given his whole pitch. He's proclaimed the kingdom parabolically as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. But after he ends that head-scratching discourse, I mean, consider what good is it for the sheep if their shepherd dies for them? Anyway... He, he keeps going with this reoccurring connection between himself and the Father. And the, the gathered faithful, those who are sitting in the judgment seat, they surround the accused Jesus and they say, How long? How long will you keep us in suspense? They demand, How long are you going to annoy us with stories and cheap parlor tricks? Just tell us who you really are. They're looking for some truth, some plain old truth. But there's nothing plain about Jesus, born God in the flesh to an unwed virgin in Bethlehem, heals the sick, feeds the hungry, elevates the lowly, bring down the mighty. There's nothing plain about the Messiah. There's nothing plain about a God who speaks from a burning bush, about the one who makes a way where there is no way. Look, Jesus begins, I've told you again and again who I am, but you don't believe me. Have you not seen the wonders I've wrought through these hands? Have you not received parables about the coming and the present kingdom? Have you not witnessed the Father's work through me here and now? And so they bicker among themselves. Well, I mean, he did feed those 5,000 people. My cousin told me that his friend's co-worker saw him make a blind man see. I heard he even casts out demons. And Jesus interrupts all their discussion. He says, it's simple, really. The Father and I... We're one and the same. But that's enough for the judge, the jury, and the executioner. They all rush forward to put him to death. But Jesus merely lifts his hand and he says, I have done so many good things for all of you. For which one of them are you now going to kill me? They answer in unison together, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you to death, Jesus, but for blasphemy because you, though only a human being, you are making yourself God. And Jesus thinks about that for a second. He says, you know, I seem to remember another courtroom of sorts from the Psalms when the Lord called those who received the word God's. So can you really call me a blasphemer, even though I have been sanctified and sent into the world as God's son? If you don't think I'm doing God's work, that's fine. You don't have to believe me. But at the very least, you can believe in the things I do. And maybe, just maybe, you'll start to understand that the Father is in me, And I am in the Father. And with that, they all rush forward together to kill him, to put him to death. But he escapes yet again. Here's the matter at hand from the strange new world of the Bible for us today. Jesus is in a standoff with the religious authorities. He's told them who he is. He has demonstrated who he is, and they do not believe The whole scene feels on edge, like a a powder keg that's just ready to go off. Because the people are dismayed, confused, they're downright angry. They want to know when the truth will be revealed. They want to get a glimpse behind the curtain. They want to know who Jesus really is. And Jesus tells them, but his answer to them, it doesn't fill them with satisfaction. Instead, it fills them with rage. He says, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Jesus has equated himself with the Lord, and the gathered people don't like it one bit. But they want to kill him for it? I mean, doesn't that feel kind of a little exaggerated? Particularly when the Jesus of our minds is the hippy-dippy Jesus who just wants people to get along, to make sure there's a little more love in the world, who would be an excellent guest on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But, friends, that's not who Jesus is, at least according to the strange new world of the Bible. Because Jesus... Jesus was offensive. He was offensive to those who trusted more in their own reason, and their own understanding of how things were supposed to be. He was offensive to them because he ran counter to just about everything they could possibly think of. Jesus was offensive to the practitioners of religious observance because he was forever breaking all the rules by eating dinner with outcasts, by spending time with those they deemed unclean. Jesus was offensive to those who sat in positions of power because with every passing parable and proclamation for the calls of the first to be last and last to be first, they started to sound more like a threat and less like a theory. But more than all of that, more than taking people to task, more than upending expectations, more than dropping story after story that made things more confusing rather than clear, the most offensive thing about Jesus to the crowds is that he equates himself with God. I mean why should he a nobody from a nobody town be the son of god isn't god supposed to be perfect and clean and morally pure and and removed and distant and holy and hidden and powerful but here's this jesus who insists on spending time with the last the least the lost the little and the dead he he breaks bread with sinners he dwells in and among the lowliest of the low he reveals secrets of the kingdom he demonstrates his power ultimately through weakness. What seems to disrupt and offend the crowd so much is the fact that Jesus points to a truth that they just can't stand. My friend Kenneth Tanner put it this week, the poverty of God is the greatest wealth in the cosmos. The weakness of God and the human Jesus is the conversion of the world and is stronger than any power visible or invisible. And yet for the crowds, and even for us, it just rubs the wrong way. All of us, we are people who are drunk on the illusion of power that comes from human hands, from our own ways and means. But God comes to us in Christ and reminds us that power, real power, it comes not from a throne or from violence, but from the cross and from mercy. And that's why the crowds rush forward to stone him to death. They want to kill the very one in whom they live and move and have their being. And how perfect is it that Jesus turns the scriptures right back around in their faces? How can saying I'm the son of God be blasphemy if in Psalm 82, it does not hesitate to call sons of God those to whom the word of God had come? I mean, apparently even Jesus liked to proof text every once in a while. It's important that the gods of Psalm 82, they lose their divine-like status for failing to take seriously the justice of God. And here, Jesus, the justice of God, is made manifest in him to a people undeserving, namely all of us. Because God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. God is at least as nice, in Jesus, as, nice as Jesus, and God is at least as zealous as Jesus. The hiddenness of God is revealed in the person of Jesus. The incomprehensibility of God is made known through the life, the teachings, the parables, the miracles, the healings, the feedings, and ultimately the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which, when you think about it, when you can actually take a step back away from the New Testament, it's rather confounding, or perhaps it would be better to call it offensive. It's offensive because while God in Christ is like us, God in Christ is also completely unlike us. I mean, think about this. How does God in the flesh react to those who were hell-bent on stoning him to death? Does, does Jesus respond with retribution and damnation and destruction? Does, does Jesus take up the sword and put people in their place? Does Jesus react the way we would? Well, No. In the end, God and Christ responds to all that we do with of all things forgiveness. And forgiveness might be the most offensive thing of all. There's this great YouTube channel I came across this week where they're uh, going through a series of asking people to respond to a question in 1 minute or less and Uh, Recently, they've been interviewing theologians and pastors, which makes the premise all the more uh, interesting because pastors and theologians aren't really known for their brevity. Nevertheless, this week, they asked Dr. Jane Williams, a theologian from Great Britain, where she's finding hope in a time like this, and to me, her answer was just perfect. She said, I suppose I've always thought that Christianity isn't really an optimistic religion. After all, Christianity tells us that when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes to live with us, we respond by killing him. But it is a hopeful religion because it also says that that's not the end of the story. When we've done the worst we can think of, there is still something that God does. God has resources that we don't. So when we kill Jesus Christ, he is raised from the dead. God turns the worst we can experience, the worst that we can do to each other, and God turns that into a way of coming closer to us. Christianity, she said, is a profoundly hopeful religion because we trust in God's ability to bring life out of death rather than our own ability to do the best that we can. The offensive nature of the gospel is both that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human and that God does for us what we could not or would not do for ourselves. God forgives us. That's offensive because we just don't deserve it. But it's also the good news, the very best news of all. That's why we call it the gospel. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your confounding and offensive word, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. And all God's people say, Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word. And now we respond to what God has said with the giving of ourselves, our time, our efforts, our prayers, but also with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to God through the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may do so by giving online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by writing a check and sending it through the mail to the church. Or if you live locally, you can uh, swing by the church, drop it off. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts that Cokesbury might continue to be a place that proclaims the offensive nature of God's gospel, of God's good news, that all are being rectified and redeemed through the work of God's Spirit. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you to now join me as we affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'd now like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection. Help you to see, know, believe, hear, and even understand how offensive grace really is. Because it's for you, and for me, and for everybody else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with all of you again next week, same time, same place, to listen to Jesus' favorite playlist, to dance, to rejoice, to, to jam, as it were so that we can learn more about who this Jesus is and what he has come to do for us. Go in peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.